Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. More of your free-for-all Friday phone calls later this hour. Our final guest joining us now, he is a Hall of Famer. I think of him whenever international soccer comes up. I think I thought of him when the James Wiseman Memphis versus the NCAA compliance showdown happened earlier this week. There is a conclusion sort of to that one. I always think of him on college basketball. And occasionally, as with last night's Steelers-Browns game, I think of him for still other reasons. He is a fan of many sports and an expert on college basketball, among other things. Mike DeCourcy, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. I remember that you are a big Steelers fan. Where did you come out on the at least six-game suspension for Miles Garrett of the Browns, but also a significant suspension, for example, for one of the Steelers' key offensive linemen? Yeah, you know, I I, I got a, uh, I wrote about uh, Marquise Pouncey's suspension because he did get a lot of Twitter defense of his actions uh, from uh, Merrill Hodge, the former ESPN analyst and former Steeler, from uh, a lineman from the uh, Lardarius Webb from the Ravens uh, tweeted about what he would have done if something like that had happened to Lamar Jackson. Uh, a lineman for the Browns talked about how uh, Marquise had. Uh, Mason Rudolph's back, and and I, I do believe that a lot of his actions were very much uh, uh, warranted. You know, certainly uh, in terms of pushing, uh, you know, pushing Miles Garrett away from Rudolph. And I didn't have any problem with him punching at him either, although it wasn't very bright because you can always hurt yourself doing that more than you're going to hurt <laughs> the uh, the opposition when the opposition's wearing a helmet. But uh, when he went to kick him, I thought that that was the point at which he put himself in serious jeopardy of being suspended. Now, whether three games is warranted or not, you know, it may seem harsh, especially when you consider Albert Hainsworth got five games for a much more egregious yeah. kick, uh, kick and stomp. Uh, the 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 per, the the, uh, the victim of that uh, wound up needing thirty stitches to close a cut on his face that resulted from from Hainsworth cleat Hainsworth's cleats uh, so th this was this was not uh, this was not anything like that uh, but they also gave a, a, a game to one of the Browns defensive linemen uh, for basically just for coming into the scene when Rudolph was standing and complaining Mason Rudolph the Steelers quarterback when he was standing and complaining to the officials about being hit in the head with a helmet uh, and that lineman, I believe, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his name, Okunjobi. I don't know if that's yeah. correct exactly. Um, uh, he just pushed Gr uh, Rudolph down. Now that that wasn't pleasant, but it, you know, that drew a game suspension just for that. So if that's a game, then Pouncey kicking at a player and probably maybe sort of contacting the top of his helmet. It's hard to tell how much he got on there. Um, then it, multiple games seems reasonable. And I, I, I would think I would have thought two would have been would have been sufficient, uh, given the 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 instigation, uh, the reason for his uh, for his uh, for his punches and that sort of thing, why he got involved. Uh, but I can't complain about him getting uh, multiple games based on the fact that he went over a line that you don't cross. You don't kick at an opposing player's head. 
I stopped getting disappointed at social media uh, feedback on such things a long time ago. My expectations are really, really low in that regard. (laughs) But I, I have been surprised at the number of people demanding that Mason Rudolph be severely punished and implying in some cases that what he did was almost as bad as what Miles Garrett did. So, of course, you know, six games at least for Garrett. None for Rudolph, although it's possible, I guess, that he could deal with a fine at some point later. I'm not sure of that. What? I, they were already on the ground to eat together, right? Mason Rudolph did grab him around the head and start twisting his helmet. Uh, but from there, it seemed Mason Rudolph was more guilty of the pushing, shoving, and tugging you see every week in the NFL. And Miles Garrett decided to do something that most veterans hadn't seen in 30 years. That's exactly right. Uh, look, look, instigation of a circumstance. I mean, my goodness, is it, do these, these people never watch hockey? Um, you know, that stuff goes on all the time. Uh, uh, I, did Rudolph, you know, we could take, if you really want to take it back to the real instigation of this, it was when Garrett chose, at, well after Rudolph had released the football, to not only hit him, as, as is often done, but to grab him and throw him to the ground. Yeah. And the ball was clearly out. I mean, there, there was no doubt. Um, and it should have been flagged because it because at that point it makes it, you know, I, I would imagine that the ref uh, just thought, oh, man, this thing's over, right? It, it, what's the point of throwing another flag in this one? Uh, and But the reason that it needed to be done, and this is why you officiate to the end, because then the, there's at least an understanding that what Garrett did was not within the bounds of, of football conduct uh, that that the throwing him to the turf in that way could have injured him probably wasn't going to but could have and was totally unnecessary and was definitely not within the boundaries of the, the football rule book and so that's where the instigation starts and and I think uh, Rudolph understanding that the game was clearly over uh, and probably mindful of the fact that the Browns had went at, had gone after two receivers from the Steelers with headshots and, and taking them both out of the game. I mean, uh, Deontay Johnson left the field with bleeding from his ear uh, because of a shot that he took in a helmet to helmet shot that he took. So this wasn't, this wasn't without history in within that game. The Steelers weren't penalized for any personal foul issues at all until those final eight seconds. Uh, the, the, the Browns had had its, multiple times, including having a player ejected. So I think to try to, to uh, start, the, start the circumstance with what Rudolph did shows a total lack of comprehension about what had gone on for 60 minutes as well as what had gone on prior to Rudolph twisting at Garrett's helmet. Mike DeCourcy joining us, the Hall of Fame college basketball writer. Find his work at SportingNews.com. He's a fun follow on Twitter as well, at TSN Mike. That is for The Sporting News Mike. He is joining us here on Free For All Friday. One of the more interesting NCAA compliance style stare downs that I've ever seen happened when Memphis kind of stood behind its freshman center, James Wiseman, and played him despite being told by the NCAA that he was likely ineligible. You followed this stuff for a long time as well. Was there any possibility of a different ending than what happened over the last 24 hours or so, which was basically Memphis caving and saying, okay, he's ineligible. Now let's go through the process of determining how long he's going to be ineligible. And what did you make of that kind of more bold approach that you just very rarely see in college sports? 
I think I'd start by saying that I would not characterize what Memphis did as caving. I would I would say that Memphis reached a, in my estimation, and I believe it's accurate based on some people that I've spoken with, uh, that uh, that they reached a a, a sort of a accommodation. They they reached a, a, a sort of a, a rapprochement. Uh, oh, this is the things. smarter way. There's no doubt about that. I was wondering what yeah. they were doing the first way. Well, I, I think I think the first thing we have to understand is that there's a history here, and it goes back to the way Derrick Rose was handled by the NCAA Infractions Committee in 2009. Uh, that was that was one of the uh, more ridiculous resolutions that the Infractions Committee, and they're not a body with a lot of you know with a lot of uh, four-star work there. Uh, they, that was one of the more ridiculous conclusions they'd reached, which was basically. Uh, Derek Rose uh, had his, his his academic eligibility very closely examined by the NCAA's uh, uh, what, what I think it was then called the clearinghouse. They don't like it. They call it the eligibility center now. They don't like the word clearinghouse. Right. Uh, so they they had looked very closely at it. They looked at it and they said, "Yeah, you're good to go." And so Memphis played him. And so then at the end of the year, toward the end of the year, some for for, for a reason I've never been able to understand, the college board investigated Derek. SAT score, and I'm not sure what the what the um, what the what the justification for that is. But Rose, uh, either because he never was directly contacted, because by all by all the information I could gather, he the, they sent a letter to his house in Chicago, and he was not in Chicago. He was in Memphis and San Antonio and uh, Little Rock, I think, and Houston, playing in the NCAA's. And then when all that got done wasn't really thinking that much anymore about college. He was on to the NBA draft, so he never responded to the college board. And so they declared his test score vacant. And so after that, the infractions committee said, well, they said your score is vacant, so you were ineligible, so therefore it doesn't matter that we told you you could play, you couldn't play. And Memphis never could could stand with that. Right. I mean, it, it has always bothered them. And then you, you come along and – the key element to this is, and this is the assertion of Wiseman's legal counsel, that the NCAA had all the information that they need that they that they ultimately ruled on in May, and including the eleven thousand five hundred dollar yep. payment. They did not itemize that, but they said all the information that was available last week when he was declared ineligible was available in May, and they declared him eligible in May, and so. I think that's the key element here, and I think that's why the NCAA uh, reached an accommodation of some sort. We don't know exactly what it is, yeah. but uh, I, I think that's why the Memphis – I think there's an acknowledgment that, there, that some sort of error was made, um, and then as a result, uh, they, have, they have reached this deal where the Memphis would abandon uh, – excuse me, Wiseman would abandon his case. And Memphis would declare him ineligible and pursue re, uh, reinstatement. Uh, in an ordinary circumstance such as this, Dave, uh, as you know, uh, that amount of money would usually get you about a third of the season, thirty percent yeah. uh, of the season, and, as well as having to pay the money back. Um, and I don't think he's going to get nine games. And I think the reason he's not going to get nine games is because of that initial, you want to call it an error, uh, that initial approval, that. I think that's the key here. Yeah. If, they, if he had known in May that he was going to get nine games going to Memphis, but he could play 35 or 40 or whatever going to Kentucky or 
uh, Duke or you know Florida State, wherever, um, he might have gone to one of those places. Or he might have just said, you know what, if we're going to have this problem, I'm just going to go play pro ball in New Zealand like R.J. Hampton. I mean, who knows? Uh, he could have done any of those things. But being told in May that he could go for the Tigers, then being told just before he was about to take the court that he couldn't, I don't think that was a reasonable way for the NCAA to handle it. I'm dying to hear what the missing puzzle pieces are because Memphis had that weird release where they said, declared eligible in May, but then we mutually agreed that we needed a deeper investigation. Uh, The NCAA doesn't do that unless something had changed, and that's what's a little bit weird about that. Quickly on the bigger college basketball scene, there have been years where you have dropped by and, you know, think of Roy Williams' Carolina team 10 years ago. There's Ty Lawson and Wayne Ellington and Ed Davis and Tyler Hansborough, Danny Green and Tyler Zeller and holy cow, or, or Duke more recently. There was Okafor and Winslow and Tyus Jones and Grayson Allen and Quinn Cook and all these guys who go on to the NBA. It feels like at this early stage of this college basketball season, no matter which teams you like, Nobody fits a description like that. Is it going to be more wide open than some of those heavyweight years have been? Yes, and and the reason for that is twofold. One is that early entry has accelerated over the last couple of years. It's probably been one of the least acknowledged elements, uh, developments in in, in, the, in the game of basketball, not necessarily college basketball, but also the NBA. The acceleration of the upperclassmen, well, I guess it could be the freshmen too, but the acceleration of the player who isn't likely to be a first-round pick or is a borderline first-round pick going and saying, yeah. eh, I played enough college hoops, I'm, I'm done. And, and I think that Michigan's team, that, uh, that Jawan Howard's coaching, is a really good example of that. They would have had E. Brasdakis on the wing. They'd have Jordan Poole on the wing. That would have been a pretty stout group of players. And, you know, and, and they, they just say, you know what, I've gone as far as I'm, as I'm going to go with this, and I think it's time to start making real money playing. I, I'm not condemning or, uh, or, or whatever that, that circumstance, that action, but that's, that's, but that's our reality. And then the second part of that is that you're, we're now dependent because the one-and-done guys go, and now we've got these guys going as well, the, the pool Brazekis group, going as well uh that you have you are very dependent on the quality of the freshman class to elevate the level of competition and so when we get the the 2015 class 2014 class that played in the 14-15 season which had at duke has okafor and jones and winslow and at kentucky has towns and uh and others uh, 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 uh trey lyles uh so you have so much ability that, I mean, it's just staggering. We don't have that now. This is a good class. It's not great. And it's sort of spread out. To, uh, Memphis had the number one overall recruiting class with the number one player, the number 15 player, and a bunch of guys in the 30s. Yeah. I mean, that's just not been the way it's been the last five, six, seven years. Uh, and the, the level of ability of the number one player, Wiseman, special. And up the road, Cole Anthony, special. But it really starts to drain off when you get to five, six, seven, eight, nine, whoever that might be. In about a minute, is it fair to say, and you actually mentioned those two guys, at this point last year, even though only a handful of games had been played, of course you and we could already see, hey, Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett and some others are really, really special. 
Is it James Wiseman at Memphis and Cole Anthony at UNC? Is is that like as long? It's too early for the Mike DeCourcy midseason All-America team, but <laughs> but uh, in terms of just candidates or, or people from teams we follow that have jumped out to you, uh, the Cole Anthony numbers are just so far off the charts that I imagine you have to sort of uh, look at him through that light. Well, he's he's phenomenal. Uh, it's just it's just been amazing, and I, I you know obviously the level of competition is not what it will be, uh, but I don't anticipate that he won't conquer that as well. He's he's outstanding, and uh, what he did to Notre Dame, uh, it, it's not one of Mike's best teams, but it's still a quality team, and what he did in the second half was staggering, and so he, he's phenomenal. But there are some veteran guys, you know, the, those are the two freshmen, and there might be one or two others out there. But the, what Miles Powell did last night while the Steelers were getting yeah. beat, yep. um, he was great. And Cassius Winston, uh, not trying to answer Miles, but just trying to win the game, made some incredible plays as well. He's still as good as anybody there is. So there's still some very good players out there. Uh, but again, you know, Miles might climb up the draft a little bit, like uh, with more nights like that, like uh, Buddy Heel did uh, 2016. He might he might be able to do that. Uh, but uh, you look at the mock drafts, and they're hilarious, Dave. I mean, they're like trying – they're throwing every freshman out there. <laughs> you just have somebody to put up there. And those guys aren't that good, man. If, honestly, if, if that's the if, – if, if there aren't more Miles Powell's out there to, to climb the charts, they might as well just skip a year and not have a draft in 2020. His name is Mike DeCourcy. Follow him on Twitter at TSN. Mike, find his work at SportingNews.com. Also catch him on the Big Ten Network as an outstanding analyst. Appreciate the free-for-all Friday visit, man. Always appreciate your time on the David Glenn Show. Thanks, Dave. Take care. You too. 1-800-849-2761. We are coming back to your phone calls on the other side. Of course, it is free-for-all Friday. That is the day, one and only one day each week, where we follow your lead, Will Brinson on the NFL, Mike DeCourcy on a wide variety of things in the books. It's you and me and your phone calls the rest of the way, 1-800-849-2761. Week 12 in college football includes big tests for two of the unbeatens, I would say the two with the most skeptics out there and certainly with the lowest college football playoff committee rankings out there. Minnesota's at Iowa and Baylor hosts Oklahoma. Meanwhile, Georgia-Auburn is another matchup that impacts the pecking order or down the road, the final four, that new style bracket in the college football playoff. Falcons at Panthers, most important to many folks around here, but the NFL schedule got off to a crazy start last night with the Steelers and the Browns and Miles Garrett's craziness in slamming his slamming his opponent's helmet on his head, meaning Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph. The Browns got the win, but Garrett got at least a six-game suspension in the aftermath. The Colin Kaepernick saga continues. There are other great matchups worth following on the upcoming weekend, including Texans at Ravens. How'd you like a little Deshaun Watson versus Lamar Jackson just at the quarterback position? Patriots at Eagles. That's one of your late afternoon games on Sunday. Bears at Rams. They both believe they can be playoff teams. That's your Sunday night special. And the Chiefs at the Chargers. That'll be on Monday night. You can jump in with your question or comment on college football, the NFL, the Hurricanes, are above the NHL playoff cut line again. Nice win in overtime at Buffalo last night. The Hornets are, as expected, below the NBA playoff cut line as we speak. The Panthers are on the outside looking in by NFC terminology, but 
with these next four games, two against the Falcons, one against Washington, and then one at New Orleans, three and one in that four-game stretch would put you at eight and five and certainly right in the playoff picture. 1-800-849-2761. More on Falcons at Panthers. Did you know that Daniel Jones of the New York Giants or his representatives were not the first people to put in paperwork for the Danny Dimes nickname trademark? Yeah, that can complicate things sometimes. 1-800-849-2761. More of your questions, more of your comments, more of your complaints are welcome. The free-for-all Friday lines are open, and you can be next on The David Glenn Show. Mac Brown of the University of North Carolina. we got to win now. Let's don't start looking at rebuilding. Let's don't talk about how bad we are. Let's don't talk about we're not better than anybody. Let's figure out how to win. And that's what we've done. And, and the Coastal, because it's been up in the air every year, why shouldn't we have a chance? Keep it dialed in to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to Free For All Friday. You can be next with your question or comment. Complaints are also welcome. Nice weekend in college basketball. Of course, some of the best teams in the country are around here, as is usually the case. Falcons are at the Panthers in the NFL, but Patriots-Eagles... Texans against the Ravens, among the other really good matchups. Minnesota at Iowa, Baylor hosting Oklahoma, Georgia at Auburn. The three to see in college football that I would classify as must-see TV. But a lot on the line for the locals. Wake gets a chance at 10-0 Clemson. It's a shame the Deacons have so many serious injuries as they try to shock the world. Unlikely, especially now that they've lost some of their best players on both sides of the ball to injury. 8-1 and one App State can stay on the Sun Belt Championship train. Got a win, though, at Georgia State this weekend. Tomorrow night, to be specific, to keep that going. NC State hosts Louisville. Duke hosts Syracuse. Remember that both the Pack and the Devils need to go 2-1 and one down the stretch here just to become bowl eligible. Tar Heels loss at Pitt last night means that they must beat Mercer, which you'd expect, but also NC State in the regular season finale for Mac Brown to get the Tar Heels to a bowl in his year one part two of his time in Chapel Hill. 1-800-849-2761. The college basketball highlights include not only number two Duke hosting Georgia State, and remember, because two number ones have already lost. It's the earliest in the history of the AP poll that two number ones have already fallen. Remember, it was Michigan State on opening night, that doubleheader at Madison Square Garden. And then when Evansville shocked the new number one Kentucky, I mean, it's only mid-November and we've already seen two number one AP-ranked teams go down. That had never happened in the history of college hoops or the poll era, which is about 80 years or so at this point. So Duke should be the new number one. They get Georgia State tonight. Carolina is number six. They The Tar Heels host Gardner-Webb tonight. Good luck to Lavelle Moton and... North Carolina Central, they get a shot at Louisville this weekend. The top 10 Louisville Cardinals, that one is on the ACC Network on Sunday. Wake Forest plays at Charlotte, an in-state battle. NC State takes on St. Francis in non-conference play. Good luck to A&T, which takes on a top 25 Utah State team tonight. Good luck to Elon. Didn't App State once beat Michigan at Michigan? Oh, that was football. Elon plays at Michigan tonight in basketball. 
Western Carolina gets a shot at the Florida State Seminoles. So college hoops is back. The NBA and the NHL are kind of coming upon the quarter pole of their regular season. The Hurricanes are in playoff position. The Hornets are not in playoff position. And the 5-4 and four Carolina Panthers need to beat up on the Atlanta Falcons, whom they face twice in the next four games. Carolina 5-4 and four as 2-7 and seven Atlanta comes to town. 1-800-849-2761. Quick reminder, the Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan. Falcons have been bad, but they did beat the Saints in New Orleans last week. Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan has torched your Panthers for several years in a row. In his last seven starts against Carolina, Matt Ryan is 6-1 with an average of 318 passing yards and totals of 15 TD passes and only three interceptions. That is a shellacking by one quarterback of any single opponent. Meanwhile, although the Panthers have dramatically improved their pass rush from last year or even other times where they just couldn't get to Matt Ryan, they've also allowed a lot of rushing yards over these last three games and 10 rushing touchdowns. So it feels weird to say this about the Panthers, Two of their biggest, well, one of their two biggest issues is stopping the run. That just hasn't been the case very often under Ron Rivera over these last nine years. The other issue we have seen a lot before, they got to pass protect better. I mean, it's Kyle Allen now, it was Cam Newton before. You just, nobody's numbers are good when they're running for their lives. And Kyle Allen, in some recent weeks, has been doing that too often. Greg Little, rookie left tackle, is now out of the concussion protocol. So maybe he can start again to protect the blind side and give that pocket a little bit more protection as Kyle Allen tries to do what many others have done this year, and that is tear up the Atlanta Falcons, who are 2-7, and seven, but again, looking a little bit more dangerous after beating the Saints in New Orleans. Dwayne is in Kernersville and has college football on his mind. Buckeye Burt's in Wilmington and wants to go after Mason Rudolph. Man, I've heard that a number of times today. Joe is in Raleigh and has the, last night's crazy chaos on his mind. Will is, in, <laughs> Will is in Cary as well. Everybody wants to talk about Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph. Let's go to Dwayne in Kernersville first. I've, gave you my, I've given you my piece on last night. You can't wildly swing another player's helmet at his unprotected head and think you're not going to be penalized severely. And again, well, I don't care if you're a coach, a parent, or just a regular walking the streets listening to Sports Radio American. If you really think that because Mason Rudolph participated in the escalation of the situation that he should be punished Anywhere in the same neighborhood as Miles Garrett, you simply don't know how the real world works. And I'm telling you that as a lawyer, I'm telling you that as a coach, I'm telling you that as a parent. If somehow, some way, your child is on the schoolyard and, and somebody thrusts their chests out and somebody said something mean about somebody's mama or somebody's girlfriend or whatever, the person who takes it from back-to-back -back jawing, the first physical contact always matters – and in this case, Mason Rudolph was rolling around on the ground with Miles Garrett and did have his hand on his helmet. If you think that is anything like the guy who later grabbed a helmet, tore it off his head, pulled a man up off the ground by his face mask, and then used that helmet as a weapon to try to hit his unprotected head. If you think Mason Rudolph rolling around on the ground is anywhere near what Miles Garrett did in any sane universe or the NFL headquarters, I'm telling you, 
nothing you'll experience in life will back up that logic. It's just not going to happen. And if you were egged on by somebody for an hour, but you were the one to go weaponization on somebody, guess what? You're the one going to jail, even if they were ribbing you, calling out your mama, maybe even crowding your space. You're the one who decided to grab the beer mug off the bar and clock somebody across the forehead. If your excuse is, but he started talking about my mama, and then he started crowding my space, so of course I was going to clock him across the forehead with the beer mug? Waste of beer, by the way, which is against the David Glenn Show rules. It'll also get you put in prison. Don't call me to be your defense attorney. I think you should be imprisoned on your outright stupidity beyond any assault or battery charges that might come your way. Dwayne in Kernersville, you're next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Can you get penal- Can you get imprisoned for stupidity? Maybe I'll have to run that on the on my next uh, Glendavian campaign. What's going on, Dwayne? Uh, nothing. Uh, yeah, I'm tired of talking about that. It's all over social media. But yeah. I want to talk about the college football uh, playoff. Lay it on us. All right. So I, I don't really deal in hypotheticals and what ifs because it serves me. It don't serve me well in life. But in college football playoffs, I think we have to. Yeah. So let's just talk about if everything plans out the way we think it will. I don't think Minnesota goes undefeated. Baylor goes undefeated. And heck, even if Baylor does, I don't think they should get in. But Say LSU and Georgia get to the SEC title game and Georgia beats LSU, don't that put Bama out as long as Clemson and Ohio State hold serve? I'm assuming that you believe the Bulldogs and LSU just keep winning all the way to that SEC title game matchup, correct? Yes, sir, I do. Yeah. Alabama is almost certainly out in the picture that you just painted there because the SEC would have a chance to have both teams in the Final Four. I think Georgia, in your hypothetical, beating LSU in that SEC title game would be the 12-1 and SEC champion. They would have that ugly loss to South Carolina on their resume. They might be ranked behind somebody who's a 13-0 and Power 5 champion, but they're not going to fall out of the top four if that's what they do. I happen to agree with you on Minnesota and Baylor. They're just not going to run the table. If they do, I, I encourage people to continue to keep them in the conversation. Because it is going to be a throwdown in that committee if somebody suggests that a Power 5 unbeaten should be left out. And, I, and Baylor, in particular, might be the litmus test for that concept. If you haven't seen Baylor's schedule, based, you know, credit for getting to 9-0, but the reason they're only 13th in the committee's rankings is that, A, they don't play anybody beyond the games handed them from the conference office. B... They play a lot of close games. I mean needing overtime to beat teams that don't even have winning records. If there's ever going to be a Power 5 unbeaten conference champion that gets left out, Baylor is knocking on that door. I personally think they would still get in if they were 13-0. But, of course, you would have to compare them to the strong one-loss resumes out there. And in your hypothetical, Georgia would have one heck of a one-loss resume. And even at 11-1, Alabama absolutely would put itself – in great danger of being left out for the first time in the sixth year of the college, sixth year of the college football playoff. Only Alabama made each of the first five uh, of, of this bracket-style playoff that, thankfully, FBS adopted a while back. Alabama's only proving ground remaining is going to be at Auburn. So the Crimson Tide better just whoop up on Mississippi State next. Then, of course, they'll beat Western Carolina in a non-conference game. 
they better smack the Auburn Tigers, which is not easy to do. Auburn's pretty good this year. Then you're sitting there at 11-1, and but you're at home on conference championship weekend. And who knows, maybe Clemson is 13-0 at that point in the ACC champion. Maybe Ohio State's 13-0 in the Big Ten champion. You know both of them are getting in. Who's next? Well, that gets back into the hypotheticals. Don't count out Minnesota until they lose. That could happen this weekend at Iowa. It seriously could. Don't count out Baylor until the Bears lose. That also could happen this weekend. They're hosting 8-1 and Oklahoma. And don't forget about the best one-loss resumes. You can't count the Tide out yet. You can't count the Bulldogs out yet, of course. But you also still quite, can't quite can out, count out uh, teams like Penn State uh, or Oregon or uh, fellow Pac-12 member Utah, for example. And Oklahoma, with a win over Baylor this weekend, upgrades its schedule. There are still probably 13 schools that matter as you project forward to the Final Four. Just 13 schools still worth following that you could paint a picture where they end up part of the Final Four. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the David Glenn Show. Let's come back to your calls next. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Sam Howell, can he do it again in the fourth quarter? To the end zone, incomplete, and Pitt survives in overtime. Their coastal dreams are still alive. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. It is last call for phone calls on Free For All Friday. That was the Tar Heels coming up short, just short again. That seems like the theme to their season. Heels fall to 2-6. and six. They have to win out against Mercer. And then in the season finale, the regular season finale at NC State, just to get to the six wins you need for bowl eligibility. That's possible, but the Pack has had the better of the heels on the gridiron lately. Meanwhile, NC State hosts Louisville this weekend. Duke hosts Syracuse. Both the Pack and the Devils need to finish 2-1 and one down the stretch to get to bowl eligibility. It's not a banner year for the gridiron teams in the triangle, but elsewhere, App State still has a shot at a Sun Belt title. Wake Forest still has a shot at just the second 10-win season in school history, and they'll actually still have a shot at that, even if they lose, as expected, at 10-0 Clemson this weekend. Georgia, Auburn, Baylor, Oklahoma, and Minnesota, Iowa are the must-see TV matchups at the college level. Let's come back to your calls. 1-800-849-2761. I can't believe I'm going to do this. Remember, it's free-for-all Friday, so the listeners and the callers pick the topics. I can't emphasize any more than I already have why Miles Garrett deserved his severe punishment and why somebody like Mason Rudolph would deserve dramatically less than that. I think Buckeye Burt believes that Mason Rudolph should be tossed for the season. I can't wait to hear this, Bert. Welcome to Free For All Friday. Go right ahead. Okay, Michael Glenn. Hey, my second best talk show host ever in history, next to Pete Franklin. I'll take that any day of the week. There's been a lot of hosts. Anyhow. I'll take uh, the silver my, medal. Here's my theory. You're spot right. on about, uh, but it's to my understanding, I haven't heard the entire show today. I've been off and on. I've had some uh, meetings and whatever. Okay. But nevertheless, um, I understood. I understand that Mason Rudolph, uh, kicked him in the in the junk 
He kicked his junk in the trunk while he was on the ground. That's what precipitated the pulling of the helmet. That, that That's not to mean that I'm, I'm for it. You're spot on that he deserves suspension. But I think the fact, if you were kicked where the sun don't shine, I think I might retaliate without thinking unconsciously. Might grab that helmet by mistake. I mean, not, not really intending to do so, but uh, just in defending myself. Well, I'm th- I think getting kicked in the junk on the playground, which might actually make your eyes roll up in the back of your head if you actually are unprotected down there, as can be the case on the playground. In the NFL setting, I think there's pulling, pushing, tugging, wrestling on the ground all the time. And you could make a long list of even things that Miles Garrett did. He kind of either pretended not to know that Rudolph threw the ball but then leaned on him and tossed him to the ground anyway. That's not going to get you a six-game suspension, although you shouldn't do that. Then they start pulling and pulling, tugging each other's jerseys, and they're rolling around like little boys on the playground. That's not going to get either one suspended either. There was several shots, one toward the other with their arms, and in one case, Mason Rudolph with his leg. I don't know where it landed. I assume Miles Garrett is protected all over his body. When Mason Rudolph's helmet has been ripped off and Miles Garrett uses it as a weapon to try to hit that unprotected head, that leads to the six-game suspension. The back-and-forth rolling on the ground, whether you tugged at a jersey, kicked toward one another, that is not something that in the history of the NFL has ever risen to a multi-game suspension. So you would get sued if you try if you tried to give somebody a six game suspension for rolling around on the ground or whatever. If he kicked and missed the protected junk, they have cups for such things, right? Still do. Did back in my day. I'm assuming they still do in 2019. Whether he missed, whether he made it, they're they're flailing around down there. There are legs kicking, arms kicking. He's grabbing Garrett's helmet, but he didn't take it off. He didn't bash his unprotected head with it. Miles Garrett is getting six games because what he just did is way beyond the boundaries of what we've seen in the NFL. And Rudolph, at most, is going to get fined because rolling around on the ground at a guy that you didn't like the shot that he took is something that happens almost every week in the NFL. Other guys did get suspended to this point. Rudolph has no suspension, and last I saw, he didn't have a fine either, and I don't have any problem with it. I am shocked that so many people are going after Mason Rudolph. I mean, it'd be one thing if Mason Rudolph were, say, guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors. Then we would just have to impeach him as the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. If he was guilty of bribery or extortion or something like that serious, that horrible on the moral and ethical scale of humanity, that would be one thing. Miles Garrett did something that if you did it on the street, you could be arrested for assault and battery. What Garrett and the quarterback Mason Rudolph did leading up to that was more of what happens before guys get to exchanging blows in an actual fight. It's more like hockey players wrestling each other on the ground after they drop the gloves and throw punches. Of course, in that sport, fighting is allowed to the degree that the only punishment you get is five minutes in the penalty box. Then you're actually allowed to come right back out and fight again if you like. 1-800-849-2761. You may have seen that over the years, the NFL has different rules for that kind of fighting. And yes, you will end up suspended when you use a helmet as a weapon. 
And if all you do is scratch and claw and kick and tug and pull while wrestling on the ground, you might get no suspension at all. It's been that way for my entire life of watching football. One has never been seen by NFL veterans and retired players that have been speaking for the last 24 hours. And the other is a little variation on something we see pretty much every weekend in the National Football League. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Maybe Will and Kerry sees the world clearly. Will, what's going on, man? DG, what's up, dude? I, uh, I Save the day. Say one thing. Save the day, please. I, man, I, I'm just going to say this. I, I think that people are overlooking one major fact, and you kind of already touched on it. This whole thing, this whole last, you know, 18 hours of conversation doesn't happen if Miles Garrett doesn't bring Mason Rudolph to the ground, holding on to him for three seconds after a pass football. Correct. Correct. I mean, this whole thing doesn't happen. People, people saying that, you know, Miles Garrett retaliates to, to Rudolph, toss on the ground. I mean, you can make the same argument for Mason Rudolph going after Garrett for the late hit. I mean, it's just it's, and, that's and the, the key element. Here. And the beauty of your point is you're both correct that Garrett was escalating before Mason Rudolph escalated. And the second beautiful point that you're making is that if that was all Miles Garrett did, he wouldn't have a six-game suspension. He would have been guilty of escalation, just like all of you are seeing. Yes, Mason Rudolph was guilty of escalation. Miles Garrett escalated when he made the tackle and pretended to not know the ball was gone and lingered too long, just as he's been penalized for other plays earlier this year. He escalated, but that would have been just another day at the office. He had to rip a guy's helmet off and beat him over his unprotected head with it, or at least attempt to do so. That, in any sane world, is what does lead to a six-game suspension. This is, folks, today's show is an example of why some people are successful in life and why others end up blaming the universe for all of the things that ail them, not knowing that they are making false assumptions using horrible logic or otherwise inviting the disaster that awaits them. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. He's the UVA head basketball coach, Tony Bennett. You always believed in us. I guess you were the wind beneath our wings. There you go. How's that? <laughs> Do we but, have uh, background music that's for that? That's right. Bette Midler, there we go. You are the wind Keep it right here on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. We are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the they come. Special Drink thanks to Will Brinson of CBS for dropping by. Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News as well. This Great calls for, for the most part. Great listeners all week long. Thanks to intern Will, intern Jilly. Also appreciate Darren Vaught's work all week long here on the David Glenn Show and Charles Hadley for pushing the right buttons on the other side of the glass today. Great weekend in college football and the NFL. College hoops as well if you're into that sort of thing. Go Hornets, go Canes, go Panthers. And we'll see you Monday to play a little best and worst of the weekend. We hope you're with us on the David Glenn Show. Mr. President Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people in North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.